As we come to the breaking of bread, you will find upon your chair today um, one of these. Uh, if you peel off the top layer, it is the bread and underneath is the juice. And if you know and love the Lord Jesus as your Saviour and Lord, then you are welcome to join with us today as we partake in the breaking of bread. Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians 11. And verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Just that we thought there that tells us uh, that it's broken for who? It's broken for us, broken for you. There is nothing more individual and personal than what Christ Jesus has done for each and every one of us. It's not a collection of people together, it's simply you, broken for you, that everything Christ did, he did for you. And then we're asked to do it in remembrance of who? We're asked to do it in remembrance of him. Because simply, we find it so easy to forget sometimes. We find it so easy to be on the road, the journey of life, that sometimes we do forget what's been done for us, and this is why this is a reminder always, the table of what has been done for us by him. Read this in my devotions this morning in Psalm 32 verse 1. It says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Isn't it wonderful this morning to know that we are forgiven? Isn't it wonderful to know there is a, there is a saviour that has saved us, that has paid the price for us? We've, we've sung the words this morning, the debt that you had, and boy, we had a big debt. He's paid it all. John Stott wrote this, he said, God does not cover our sins in forgiveness unless we uncover them in confession. And you know, sometimes we find that hard thing, will God forgive us, does God forgive us? God does forgive us because of what his son Jesus Christ has done for each and every one of us. And the only description we can make of this is that he has made it easy because simply we just come and we confess and say, Lord, please forgive me. I have sinned and we are forgiven because of what Christ has done for each and every one of us. We have no reason to hold on to our debt. We have no reason to think we can pay for ourselves. We simply just come and say to the cross we look, knowing that we are forgiven today. So we come at this point and we peel off the top layer and we take the bread and we just simply say thank you for the body of Christ that was broken for us. Let me pray. Father God, we come before you today. We thank you. Father, you have instigated this, Lord, so, Father, we, we would not forget that we would remember, and whether we do it daily, or whether we do it weekly, or, or whether we do it monthly, Father, it's there, so we don't forget what you have done for us in sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the debt of our sin. And Father, we can only come with one word, and we come to say thank you. Thank you for that body that was broken for us. There was nothing that we could pay for, earn or work for. But we come today and we say thank you. And we take this bread that represents the body that was broken for us. And say with hearts full of gratitude, thank you.
continues on when it says in the same manner he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is a new covenant in my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death till it comes we thought that Paul gives there and he says this cup is a new covenant in my blood is spoken of in Jeremiah 31 verses 33 to 34. It simply says this, so I forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. The new covenant is about forgiveness. He says I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. The new covenant is about purpose and he says I will be their God and they will be my people. And the new covenant is about relationship we come today we say thank you because as 1 john 1 verse 7 says the blood of jesus christ cleanses us from all sin that's the new covenant today that's what we come and say thank you for and it tells us at the end of there verse 26 what we are to do it says we proclaim we rejoice we worship until he comes again for as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup we're doing it in remembrance of what he's done but we're also looking forward to what's coming as well because he is coming again let us just give thanks for the jews father we thank you today the blood of your son cleanses us from all sin the father not just the little ones the ones that people know about all sin we are cleansed from today because of your son father it's uh, we come and we say thank you once again we remember today we remember where we have come from we remember what we were like in our past uh, and father if you had not changed us the father we would still be there now and father we thank you for the salvation of your son we thank you for the forgiveness that is found in your son we thank you for this new covenant that gives us relationship with you and forgiveness in you and purpose in you and as we come and we take this juice now we come and say thank you thank you for all that you have done that our sins are forgiven
Before the earth began to shake And the veil was torn What sacrifice was made As the heavens
we do declare that in this place today, that we heal the King Jesus. No one like him. There has never been, nor will there ever be anyone like him. We proclaim him King of Kings and Lord of Lords in this place this morning. That he is worthy of all praise and all honour and all glory this morning. Oh Jesus, we thank you for your blood shed for each and every one of us. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your example to us. And all we have to say this morning is all heal King Jesus. All heal King Jesus. Good morning, church. Thank you for being with us uh, this morning for a very special Sunday. Just a couple of announcements that we just would like to highlight. The first one this evening, our church service is on at half past six. There are a couple of special things happening tonight. It is the one year anniversary of the baby bank here at uh, Living Hope. And so we're going to be hearing tonight from Lindsay Pollock, who heads up the baby bank with her team and stuff. So come along. Uh, for that, we're going to be continuing on with our series in Matthew uh, tonight as well. So please come and join us this evening at uh, half past six. On Tuesday night is the pastor's Bible study. Uh, we are working our way through some studies in Matthew. Uh, the parable of the unmerciful servant. We're going to be looking at a whole area of forgiving one another, uh, which is a nice, easy subject to do. Um, C.S. Lewis says everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. Uh, so that would be so true. It's half past seven on Tuesday night. On Wednesday night, we are going to be doing our night of prayer. Uh, we're going back into just some more prayer time. So we just feel we really need to do as a church. All we're doing, uh, meeting room one, the kids' space room there. We're opening that up between six o'clock and nine o'clock. You can drop in and pray for five minutes for an hour. Just come and pray. We're going to have some worship music on in the background, the prayer requests around the room. We just want to uh, pray for the many needs that there are, but lots of things that are happening are uh, coming up. So uh, that's on Wednesday night between 6 and 9. And then Thursday night begins the academy with Jackie and Valerie, uh, 7 to 8 in the meeting room 1, the kids' space room. That's a progressive doctrine of the presence of God. If you haven't signed up yet, Please sign up in the seat out there. We'll let Jackie and Valerie know uh, that, that, that you are coming along. For anything else, then please take a glance from uh, the info desk out there. That lets you know everything that's happening in uh, the, this month of October and stuff. So uh, we're doing that. We're, we're delighted this morning to have Pastor Sean Malarkey and his lovely wife Susan. Uh, with, uh, Sean has been here before. Uh, preaching. Sean is a pastor of the St. Mark's Church in Dublin City Centre and is also the national leader of the Christian Churches Ireland, which is the movement we belong to, which is uh, for those of us of an older generation, the Assemblies of God and stuff. So we want to, yes, that's our heritage. And stuff, so that's it. So Sean is a, is a leader of that. And, uh, and way back in 2016 17, uh, when we were an independent church, I didn't like being independent. We wanted to belong to something, something that was life-giving, something that honoured Christ, lifted up the name of Christ. And so we, we made that decision to, to rejoin uh, CCI, to go back into it. And uh, I have to say, this man here uh, helped us navigate that and, and guided us and helped us. And considering not just to be the leader, but also a great friend as well, that has helped out many times with advice 
and things like that in the things uh, that we do as a church and so we're we're all in now uh, which is great we sat the young people down at the pulse which is the cci youth glenn was on the academy uh, with cci rebecca uses down Rebecca Hughes is somewhere, but she's, uh, <laughs> she was on the children's, uh, going down for the children's training day this weekend. We're all in. If you were here on Thursday night, what a brilliant night we had. All the leaders and ministry teams from the churches in Northern Ireland that were here. And Sean spoke a brilliant word. I, he does my head in sometimes because, <laughs> I'll tell you why, he never preaches a bad word. You know, I mean, I'm good for one in three, you would put that right? <laughs> But this man always comes with something that encourages us and challenges us and blesses us. And the only thing I don't like about him is an Arsenal supporter. <laughs> but we'll forgive that here, won't we? We'll forgive that. So I'm delighted this morning to welcome Sean uh, to come and bring him. Oh, praise the Lord. God is so good. We bring, uh, we bring greetings from the Christian Churches Ireland family. Uh, we bring greetings from St. Mark's Church family today as well. Uh, I know in the staff uh, prayer meeting this morning, uh, they would have been praying for you because they knew that you'd be hearing me. So they were praying for the Lord's blessing uh, on you. And uh, bless the Lord. I think your pastor is way too gracious and way too loving. I have to say... In regard to Pastor Matt and Athena, and genuinely, and my wife is here to testify and to witness, do the wives make sure that what is spoken is truth? Uh, I, I genuinely don't know of a harder working pastoral couple than Pastor Matt and Athena in all the churches and Christian churches in Ireland, and I am not just saying that. And, and just looking at the heart that this couple have for Living Hope Church, for this community, for the different age groups within the church and within the community, the different spheres of influence and the way that they're trying to impact the locality just takes my breath away. And we need to put our hands together and encourage them and bless them. Pastor, with your permission, um, I, I'd love just to take a liberty if it's okay. I, I just feel so heavy-hearted for what happened to um, some of our neighbours uh, in Donegal. Uh, they're just um, uh, ten families that are bereft uh, now. Um, four men, three women, uh, two teenagers, a boy and a girl, uh, and a little girl uh, that were killed in an explosion there in the petrol station and that impacted on a set of apartments. I just wonder if we could just pray a blessing on those families and just be with them. Oh Lord, thank you that we have you, Lord God, and we just feel so blessed, oh God, to know that Jesus if, if there was tragedy, Lord God, if, if we were taken the next moments that we know where we're going, Lord God, and we just want to thank you for that grace, Lord God, and for that assurance and that security, God. And Lord Jesus, we know that what happened there, Lord Jesus, and Donegal, Lord God, increased the Lord God, was just something that came out of the blue, Lord God, and it again shook uh, every person on this island to the fact that you just do not know the day or the hour. Uh, and God, we just pray in Jesus' name that you would use this tragedy, Lord, tragedy, Lord God, to cause people to 
cry out to you, to reach out to you, to seek the Jesus Christ, the, the, the lover of our souls, the forgiver of our sins, the assurance of an eternity with the Father. Lord, we pray, Lord Jesus, for the families that have lost loved ones, Lord God, that they will find you to be the very present one in time of trouble, that they would find you to be a comfort and a strength, Lord God. And we pray that you would bring the embrace of the loving Father, our Father in heaven. We hallow your name, O oh God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, increase that as it is in heaven, O oh God. Lord Jesus, bless all of these families, we pray, and bring the comfort of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, one of the great things that you have been a part of has been uh, our journey over the last year and a half uh, with Susan's illness. And uh, many of you will know uh, through the prayer and, and the support that we got from this church and from Pastor Matt Natina that uh, about a year and a half ago, Susan uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer and it totally shook our world uh, and uh, it, it made sure that the foundations that we were standing on were sure and fast uh, and they, that proved to be so as ever because the Lord is amazing. Uh, but last week Susan had four appointments in hospital on four different days and glory to the living God, all four came back clear and we just want to praise God, we want to thank God. Related to, to, to that journey is, is, is my journey, and as insignificant as my journey is compared to Susan's journey, I, I wanted to unwrap something today that I hope will be a blessing and will keep some of you from a trap that, dare I say, I fell into at times and that wasn't good enough for a man of God, a follower of Christ. Um, and that was the journey that I took at times when I had bouts of self-pity uh, on my journey through the year and a half uh, with Susan's sickness. Absolutely, I was leaning into God. Absolutely, I was praying for my wife and praying for our family. Absolutely, I was praying for miracles. Absolutely, I was seeking the everlasting arms. Absolutely, I was seeking the heart of God and the will of God to be done. And absolutely, I was dependent upon the one and only, the Lord Jesus Christ. But I found that I was prone to bouts of self-pity. And uh, self-pity sounds like, um, that's not fair. I deserve better. You're holding out on me, Lord. You've let me down, God. You've let me down. And then that's followed up with the, here I am, I'm... Uh, following you since I was 12 years of age when I gave my life to you at that camp uh, in Shankill, South Dublin, all those years ago. Um, I've sought to serve you. You start kind of bringing your CV to God. You start bringing, you know, this kind of, I did this and I did that and I did the other and I'm leading this and I'm trying to do good here and I'm trying to be a loving father and a good husband. And you're bringing your CV and saying, what's going on here? But one of the things that we do know and that we actually share as leaders when we deal with people is that one of the truths about life is that God is faithful, but another truth about life is that life's not fair. Uh, and here we are in this broken world. We are not yet in the new heaven and the new earth. We are not yet in the place where there's no more pain and no more tears. We're still in this tension of this existence between the, the now, the fullness of God, and the not yet. And, and this kind of tension is what we live in. And so there are two sizable chunks of scripture that we're going to read from today. 
and they're important to kind of connect. But I want as we're reading through these, I want us to look out for self-pity. I want us to look out for how it kind of could start within a heart. I want us to look out for the way that it expresses itself. And I want us to look for the fruit of self-pity that we will find in these two chunks of scripture. So we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 16, and then we're going to turn to Genesis 21. So Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think best, because I'll be watching Sky Sports. That's what Abraham said. <laughs> then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael which means the Lord hears. For the Lord has heard of your misery, and he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered, so Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born, and Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Genesis 21, thank you for your patience. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, and he said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah, sorry, that Sarah would nurse children. Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child groom was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is to Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. 
Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and sent them off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bowshot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob, and God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up, and he lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him in Egypt. You know, self-pity, and there's, there's many opportunities for self-pity throughout this scripture, and I hope you've been able to kind of connect with some of them, or maybe you're sitting here today and your own life story is one that has many reasons for what could be perceived as self-pity. But let me just make things clear here. There are many reasons why we go through times of sorrow, and that's okay. There are times of loss and times of pain. There are times when we feel that we're stripped bare, spiritually speaking. There's times that we go through difficulties and valleys, and we feel sorrow, and that's okay. Because we can bring our sorrow to God, and we can receive his comfort. We can receive his grace. We can receive from his hand, and we can be led into all that he has for us. But self-pity is a different beast altogether. Self-pity is where we internalize everything. We go into ourselves and we, unbeknownst to ourselves in ways, we cut ourselves off from God. So self-pity focuses ourselves on self and we have a pity party. We come into self and we remove God and we remove others from the equation and we come in to have a little party of pity all to ourselves. It laments loss alone. It laments loss alone. It is so preoccupied with self. And since no one is apparently interested in our, in our state, in what's going on in our lives, we make sure that we close off everyone and everything. It is an isolating condition. It's planted in the present with no gratitude for the past, or remembrance of God's faithfulness in previous years. It has no hopeful expectation for a future, and if it does have some expectation for a future, it's a cynical expectation. And so when things begin to go wrong, self-pity people will say, ah, that's typical. That, that's typical, I knew that was gonna happen. That's typical for my life, for the way things are going, woe is me. That is typical. Now, I'm sure no one in this congregation has ever said things like that, but I was saying some of these things. I was saying some of these things. Even when I would get into traffic, I would be going to a meeting, I might be a bit delayed, a tractor would pull out in front of me. That's typical. 
the tractor comes out. The one day I'm going to the meeting, the tractor pulls out on me. The tractor that goes 20 miles an hour pulls out on me when I'm going to the meeting. Everything became about my problem and me and the self-pity and woe is me. There was nothing that could go right. I'd be in Tesco. I'd be in the wrong queue. Typical. That queue was going faster than my queue. And so this was the way that I was living life. There was no way that anything could win, anyone could win, or God could win. Because I was convinced I was even in the wrong queue in the shops. How sad is this? How sad is this? But the saddest thing is the pitifulness of self-pity. Because self-pity stops progress. It stunts growth and it brings on paralysis. And what I didn't realize was that I was actually given a foothold to the enemy of my soul. I was given a foothold in those times to the enemy. And then the enemy would start coming into self-pity people and start kind of going, you deserve this. You deserve so much more than you're getting. You deserve so much more understanding. You deserve so much more love. You deserve so much more than, than the body of living hope has given you. You deserve so much more. If I was you, I'd leave that place. There's the, 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 the enemy coming in and just planting these seeds. If I was you now, I would indulge in that. I, I, I would indulge in this. I would, I would partake of the other. Because you deserve this. And you've been through such a difficult time. You would honestly think that it was me going through the concert, but it wasn't. I was just going through self-pity. And there's a massive difference. <coughs> self-pity forgets the God of promise. Self-pity begins to forget the great God. In chapter 16, we see that God is actually concerned. We see that he is a God who sees. We see that he's a God who hears. We see that he's a God who makes promises. We see that he is a God who is faithful. And we see that in chapter 21, when he begins to bring to pass that which he promised in chapter 16. What a great God we serve. We were brought to the table of communion by your pastor today. And we were told that we are so forgetful. And, and there was never a truer word spoken. The reason God instituted the communion table was because we're so forgetful. We forget our God, we forget his faithfulness, we forget what he provided for us on the cross. And so praise God, we have to have communion. And we have to break bread and we come to the table and we remember all that he's done on the cross. To be reminded, oh thank you Lord, because I was going off on a self-pity track. Thank you for bringing me back. There's no one deserves more self-pity than an innocent man nailed to a cross for sins he didn't commit. And so this is the great thing about us. When we look at Christ and we look at him truly, it eradicates self-pity. Because when we look at the cross and when we look at Jesus and we look at all that he endured and all the spits and all the pulling of his beard and all the lashes and that hanging on that cross for me and for you, Oh, self-pity tends to run far from our hearts when we focus on Jesus Christ. Hagar proclaims that he is actually the Lord who sees. And I want to just proclaim that over everyone here today. The Lord is the Lord who sees. And he knows what you're going through. 
and he knows what's happening and he knows what's happening in your marriage and he knows what's happening in your home and he knows what's happening in your children and he knows which children are going through challenges and which parents are going through challenges and he knows what's going on in your workplace and he knows what's going on in your area of influence and he knows what's going on in your extended family and he knows what's going on physically in your body and emotionally in your mind and in your personality and in your soul and he knows what's going on in your spirit this is the living God who sees and he knows it all he knows it all and he wants to hold us and he wants to love on us and he wants us to declare before everyone no this is my God my God is faithful my God is loving my God is caring my God is the God who sees and he is the one that I trust but Satan wants us to lose sight of our God and Satan wants us to question our God and self-pity is a fast track to losing sight of God because it puts sight on yourself and questioning your God why are you holding out on me why have you failed me why is this happening self-pity just achieves those two things on behalf of the enemy the enemy wants us to question the nature of God, the character of God. When we lose sight of God and drown in self-pity, we feel like we're dying in the wilderness. And we turn away even from our very children because we don't want, them, we don't want to see them die either. We're so taken up by self-pity. We lose sight of the King, of our God, our Lover and our Saviour. The problem of self-pity is a problem of sight. Self-pitying people cannot see the Lord before themselves as he really is. They see their circumstances and themselves before they see the Lord. And so self-pity is a problem with sight. Rather than crying out to God in our big and small moments of distress, self-pity would have us whimper in the misery of our own hearts. At root, the sin and self-pity is that we see and assess ourselves and our circumstances as though God is not a gracious father. That's our assessment. My assessment, God, and I've made this judgment, you're not a gracious father. And we get to this place where we're putting God on trial. How ridiculous does that sound? The creator of the universe, the one who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, we put him on trial. I, I declare and I have found, God, that you're not a faithful, gracious father. When we lose sight of God and all that he has done, and again, Pastor reminds us today of the death and the resurrection of his beloved son, we either look to ourselves for a better future, thinking, I'll take over from here, God, you're not doing a good enough job. Or we look and see no future at all, we just give up and become cynical. Isn't it, isn't it sad, and, and, and again, there's no finger pointing here because we're family and, and family, but, but isn't, it, isn't it sad and discouraging to come across cynical Christians? So, like, sometimes the, the youth will be here, the young adults, they're so excited for the Lord. And they come down off the platform and they've just been buzzing and they've just been going, oh Jesus, you're amazing. And they come down and they meet a cynical Christian who goes, heard it all before. <laughs> heard it all before, been there before. I was like, stop, come on. We should be absolutely elated that the youth in this church and the young adults love Jesus. When we were here just on Thursday evening for the CCI event and it was your worship team leading the worship and all of your worship team are children of the house. What a blessing it is 
for this house to be so blessed, not just by fantastic worship, but by worship that was raised within the house. You're so spoiled. God has blessed this house abundantly. There's so much to be joyous about. And so we kick cynicism from our hearts and we say, Lord, you are amazing. In Genesis 16, Hagar has a powerful encounter with the living God. She even says, you are the God who sees me. 14 years later, she's in a desert experience and she's totally forgot the encounter with God. She's totally forgot the God who sees. She's totally forgot the faithfulness of God. Am I speaking today about someone in this house? You were here 14 years ago. You were doing the kind of Holy Spirit jig up the front. You couldn't, you couldn't stop praising God. You were just so on fire. And for whatever reason, you find yourself in a desert experience and you forgot the God of the great encounter. You forgot the God who spoke to you years ago and said he had great things in store for you. You have let go of the promise of God and you've let go of the God of the promises. Brothers and sisters, one of the other challenges is then to forget, as I say, not just the God of the promise, but the promises of God. And God has spoken some very great promises over some people in this place, over all of us, I believe, in different ways, through his word daily, through the encouragement of the leadership within this church, through prophetic utterances that we've given you. Whatever it is, we have all received something that says that we were made for more. But self-pity will totally destroy the path towards the potential that Christ has in store for us. In chapter 16, the Lord makes some very great promises regarding Hagar's son Ishmael. Verse 10 of chapter 16 said, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. God said, call him Ishmael, which means the Lord hears. And she forgot all of this. God even promises that he's going to grow to be a man. She, here she is, putting him under a bush, turning her back and saying, I don't want to watch the boy die. But God has promised her 14 years ago he would become a man. So why is she letting go of that which is still a child and not having the expectation that he will become a man? Now we know he'll become a wild donkey of a man. But a wild donkey of your man is better than a dead boy. Amen. And so here we have it. And, and, and you might have a dream. You might have a promise. You might have something that was promised to you that, that was like something that the Lord was stirring within your womb. Dare I say, a child. And the child was born. And you started in that ministry. Or you started believing God for great things. And then somehow along the way the enemy got in and he brought you to a place of a desert experience and he brought you to a place of self-pity and he said that's it the child is going to die but you've forgotten that God said that the dream would become a full-grown entity a full-grown expression you've forgotten that God said that it would be a blessing to many that it will grow and bear fruit and it will mature and it will be that which God has called it to be. In self-pity, Hagar accepts the loss of a child that God had said would become a man. Is there anything that you have let go of or are letting go of that's just in its formative years and you're giving up on it 
before God has brought it to fruition and fulfillment? Is there anything that self-pity has caused you to let go of, to stick under a bush and to turn your back on? Self-pity can be such a desperate place to be. Self-pity loses sight and forgets the promise of God. So very, very quickly, brothers and sisters, and can I just say to you, brothers and sisters, this sermon fights, finds its source in me, and I'm preaching to myself today. If anyone else is getting nothing from this, glory to God. Self-pity says a few things. Self-pity says you are to blame. Oh, it's always pastor's fault. It's pastor's fault. It's my neighbor's fault. It's my boss's fault. It's my spouse's fault. It's the children's fault. We could go on and on and on, couldn't we? There's a queue of people whose fault it is. Everyone is to blame. I, 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 love, I love this. Sarai, she's there and she's Abraham and she's feeling bad. She hasn't born him a child. So she's there, come on, Hagar. Abraham, this is Hagar. Abraham, I'd love you to sleep with Hagar. Look, she's, she's our slave. She's part of our household. I reckon that could be the way that God might bring the lineage, even though we know that that completely is not. Self-pity gets us to make choices and decisions that are outside the will of God. Hagar, Abraham, I, I think you guys should uh, sleep together. And so Sarai sets up the meeting, and Sarai gives permission for the encounter, and Sarai gives her blessing to their intercourse so that a child would be conceived. And then Sarai says to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. Now, you might say, well, Abraham could have said to Sarai, look, I'm not going to do it. That's not God's plan. That's not God's way. But Abraham is human and he's thinking maybe like me, you're withholding on me, God. You're not coming true for us. Like, I'm 86. There's nothing happening. My get up and go has got up and left. There's, there's nothing going on. I don't know what's going to happen with regards to all these promises and descendants as countless as the stars. And so he, he sleeps with Hagar. I wonder did Abraham sleep with Hagar out of self-pity and believing that God had held out on him. Anyway... Sarai comes, the baby is conceived, the baby is born. You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. Self-pity never takes responsibility for their part in what's going on. Because it's always someone else that's to blame. And so I found myself, particularly when I was dealing with my children, that I really had to watch myself when I was just feeling so low and disappointed. When I was feeling so let down. And when I was giving the enemy a foothold, I, I found sometimes that I, I, could, I could just lose it over the smallest things. Uh, my wife, God bless her, knows that I'm anal about tidiness and things being right and all that. And I just found myself at times going over and above reacting what would have been a godly way to react and a blessed way to react before my children and before my wife. And those are signs that you're suffering from self-pity. And I say, if you're someone 
that is just living in a state of being where everyone else is responsible and you're just giving off about everyone and everything. You're not happy at home, you're not happy with your friends, you're not happy with relatives, you're not happy at work, you're not happy in church. Can I just say that the problem might be you and self-pity? And just to submit that to you today. The second thing that self-pity says is, I'm a Christian, get me out of here. I love, I, love, I love where the Lord says to Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? Where have you come from and where are you going? Two great things to consider, even today in this sermon. Where have you come from? Don't, don't forget my faithfulness to you. Don't forget what I've done for you. Where have you come from and where are you going? And, and where, where are you going question makes you think, well, like, I'm either going your way or I'm going my way. And they're just brilliant questions. You might be someone who's doing a runner at the moment. You're seeking to run from your marriage or run from your family or run from your job or run from your church. You believe that the best form of an answer to your self-pity at this time is to escape, to run from God, to leave church, to leave home, to leave that job because you'll be happier with someone else. You'll be happier in a different church. You'll be happier with a better job and a better boss. But the only problem with that is that you will bring your self-pityful self into all of those circumstances and before long you'll be in the exact same situation that you're leaving. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur and he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? And she said, Lord, I'm running away. She was running away from being mistreated by Sarai. And, and there's times where God will take us out of situations and he will deliver us and he will bring us into a good and spacious land. I totally believe that with all of my heart. But never let self-pity be the reason that you run. Let it always be as we sang. Didn't we sing in the first song, we will wait? We will wait. We will wait on you. We didn't say we will run, did we? Or did we sing we will run? We sang we will wait. When... The enemy surrounds, and my heart grows faint within. When the darkness overwhelms, and my fears are pressing in, I will trust in you. In the silence, I will wait. We did not sing, I will run. In the silence, I will wait. Brothers and sisters, we're either speakers of truth, singers of God's words, or we're even making a mockery as we worship. We're singing, I will wait, and in our hearts we're thinking, when I get home, I'm doing a runner. Isn't, isn't that extraordinary the way we are? Isn't God so patient with us? Isn't God so loving towards us when he knows what's going on in our hearts? One of the key lessons you learn as a Christian is that there are values. And the thing with scriptural, biblical values is that you have to go through them. Even the valley of death, the valley of Baca. But isn't it great that, that as we even pass through the valley of Baca, the place of tears, that the Lord says, His people will make it a place of springs. 
I love it when we're not full of self-pity and we're passing through valleys and we have our eyes on God and we say, Lord, I'm in a valley. I don't really understand. It's a tough place, but I still look to you. You are faithful. I love you, my God. He causes us as we pass through a valley to make it a place of springs. What a great God we serve. What an amazing God we serve. Brothers and sisters, the last thing that self-pity says is, I'll do it my way. Good old Frank Sinatra, good old Blue Eyes. My way. I will do it my way. Sarai said, God has let me down. Abraham, God isn't coming through on this. Descendant as countless as the stars. Hagar, I'm quitting this place. This mistress that I serve is just so bad. Self-pity makes us do things our way. Take the power back. Lord, I'm not going to submit to you. The interesting thing that the Lord said to Hagar is, in the first time that she displayed self-pity, he said, go back to your mistress Sarah and submit to her. My word today to someone in this house is, go back before the Lord your God and submit to him. When we come in under, when we submit, when we do what we've been sent here to do, and we do it appropriately under the Lord God, we move away from self-pity and we move into worship and everything changes. Self-pity will try and make you self-sufficient. It's telling God, I'm not putting my faith in you any longer. It's not trusting the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. It's being self-sufficient because let's face it, God has let us down. When you see gaps in God's love, we use our circumstances as proof and we tend to take action to fill in the gaps with self-love and self-pity, making choices that do more damage than good. Consider Jesus, he could have had a massive pity party. If ever a man was entitled to self-pity, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was without sin and wrongfully accused, the man healed the diseased, was someone who promised bread for the hungry, cast out demons, yet he was despised and rejected, spit upon and scorned, and though reviled, he didn't bring back reviling in return. Consider Paul, he despaired of his own life, did you know that? St. Paul, look at all of the list of what he could have been self-pitying about. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 to 9. We do not want you to be uninformed, uninformed brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Next line. So I had a big self-pity party. No, it doesn't say that in the scripture. It says, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But all of this happened, why? That we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Yeah. There it is, right there. There it is, right there. Are you in a circumstance that you have decided is an expression of God failing you when God has been molding you to be better than ever, stronger than ever, more full of faith and more full of desire to advance his kingdom? Have you stepped back into self-pity when you could have stepped into worship and you could have said, Lord, I don't understand what's going on. And it's really not what I believe that you have intended for our lives as a family. But Lord God Almighty, I believe in Jesus' name that you are bringing us through this so that we will not rely on ourselves, but on you who raises the dead. And we will step into all that you have for us. Consider David, psalm after psalm. The psalms detail that David had good reason to have a pity party. 
He was betrayed, he was hunted, he was holed up in a cave. Yet he did something very, very different, didn't he? In Psalm 54, he says, Strangers have risen against me, ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. And here we see a key that David learned when he could have gone into self-pity. Throughout the scriptures, throughout the Psalms, you will see David saying, I have set the Lord before me. I have always set the Lord before me. I have set the Lord always before me. His words will be on my lips. I have strengthened myself in the Lord. I will worship the Lord. I will praise the Lord. He, the amount of times he could have had such a self-pity party. Even, even in the time he was waiting to become king, in that period of time. And he was there honoring Saul. And he was blessing Saul. And he wouldn't touch Saul. He could have had so many pity parties. Forgotten by his own dad, put out on a hill to mind sheep. So many pity parties. A wife that despised him as he danced before the Lord. He could have had so many pity parties. But David said, I have set the Lord always before me. And then the scripture says that David had a heart after the Lord. Self-pity will try and make you self-sufficient. It will try to keep you self-centered. You know that you're self-centered when you grumble a lot. Now again, I know nobody grumbles in this house. Not one person. And glory to God for that. But one of the scary things about reading the Old Testament is that God hates. It's as he detests grumbling. Grumbling is the external sound of inner selfishness. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 10, Paul, referring to God's people grumbling before the Lord and before Moses, he says, do not grumble as some of them did and they were killed by the destroying angel. Hallelujah. Do you need to put grumbling to death today in Jesus' name? Self-pity will make you self-centered, self-sufficient and lastly, it will make you self-indulgent. When you're filled with self-pity, the enemy will offer suggestions that will become temptations for you to believe that you deserve. Sarai, you deserve to mistreat this slave. She's mocking you. Abraham, you deserve a woman that's not your wife. Self-pity can lead to disastrous self-indulgence. My brother, my sister, we are all just one choice away from blowing it. And that was never more real to me than in my bouts of self-pity when I was very graciously called the pastor of St. Mark's Church, the leader of Christian Churches Ireland. And there was times I was a choice from blowing the whole thing. But because of God's grace and his mercy and his faithfulness, and because by God's good hand, we are able to keep steady, even in the midst of shaken times. I give him praise and I give him glory that I stand before you 
And the only reason there's no skeletons in the closet is because of the grace of Almighty God, the faithfulness of God, the God who sees us, the God who is there for us, the God who makes a way, even when we're in a desert experience, the God who says, that which you've given up on, even though it's a child, believe me, it will grow, it will mature, it will come to pass. This is the great God of our souls, and he loves us so much, and he's for every single person in this room. And all that I'm here today to tell you is that I had bouts of self-pity when my wife was struggling with cancer, and I, by God's grace, I'm here today because in the midst of that journey, God reminded me to look from myself and to look unto him. And the very simple take home today is take your eyes off yourself. Yeah. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. He won't let you down. He'll see you home to heaven's shore. He will be there every step of the way. Never go it alone and forego the real pity that we need. What we need is not self-pity, but the pity of the Father. And the pity of the Father in the scripture is called his mercy, his compassion, and his grace. And if we forgo that by making ourselves the authors of pity and we take on self-pity, we lose out on the pity of the Father and his grace and his mercy. He heard Hagar's cry. He heard Ishmael's cry. He heard Sarah and Abram's cry. He heard the cry of his people in Egypt. Moses, let my people know that I've heard their cry. Right now, today, 2022, here we are in Living Hope Church. Here we are, praise God. And God has heard your cry. And God has seen you, and God knows you, and God loves you, and God has made you for a better day ahead. And God wants you to take that valley and make it a place of springs as you journey through it. We can trust the compassion and pity of our Father. God knows our circumstances and our sadnesses even better than we do. He knows us better than we know ourselves. There is not one circumstance of our lives that has not passed through the loving attention of his sovereign care for us. By faith we declare with David, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. And so maybe one of the things that we can do as we stand, I just invite the worship team back. A good place to start, and, and it was a good place for me to start, is to repent of, of self-pity. And to understand just how pitiful self-pity really is. It's pitiful because it's powerless and it's destructive. The next step is to turn our eyes to Christ, and through him to behold the incomparable love of our Father, so that self-pity will truly shrivel and die. Let it be revealed as the imposter that has climbed into our souls. It is time once again to taste and see that the Lord is good. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. Is, is it possible to sing that song that we started? My soul will wait, will that be okay? Just, sorry I've thrown you there, but just when, when I came in here today and, and, and you opened with that song, I went, Lord, I'm in the right place and I've got the right word and it's all to do with you. I just pray that even as we sing this, that people will bless people who are faint-hearted right here today. And that people will just begin to proclaim, even declaring before the enemy of their souls, and even before themselves, I'm going to trust in God once again. Oh God, I just want to pray. Can we lift our hands in this place? Lord, 
I pray in Jesus' name, Lord God, that, that you, Lord God, my brothers and sisters here will have heard, Lord Jesus, your heart, Lord God, through, through my weakness, oh God. And God, I pray, Lord Jesus, oh God, Spirit of the living God, that you would fall afresh upon people in this place who just need a fresh touch of the living God today. Lord God, and Lord Jesus, what I'm so looking forward to is when I praise the Lord. I'm, I'm here in the midst of this beautiful congregation, oh God. We hear testimonies of, I'd given up on this dream. I'd given up on that. I'd let go of the other. I was about to walk out on, but God brought me back. And God in his faithfulness restored me. And I'm loving him better than ever. Cynicism has fallen away from me. The groaning, the grumbling has stopped. I'm so grateful. I'm so full of joy. I'm so blessed in his presence. Faithful God, we love you this day. Gracious God, thank you for your love. Seeing God, thank you for your concern. Thank you for your care this day. Lord, in Jesus' name, we banish self-pity. And we pray, Lord God, that you would be glorified in all we are and all we do. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.
Self-pity is a party you get invited to and you're the only one there. It's so true. Something that is relevant to our lives. So thank you, Pastor Sean, for bringing something to us uh, this morning. Just relevant, just encouraged us and blessed us today. Just before we go, uh, on Tuesday night, we were presented, uh, the elders of the church were presented with an envelope uh, with a gift in for the elders to go out for dinner. And this is a total surprise to us. Um, if you were one of those people who gave in that gift, we, we are so thankful uh, for that. We, we are taking the elders out for dinner uh, this lunchtime. We're taking them to jail, which some of you... <laughs> We're hoping they let Jackie Roberts and Jackie McCoo be back out again. <laughs> so we're going out for lunch today and, and taking Sean and Susan and Olga and all the elders with us uh, today. So thank you very much. We shall enjoy our meal today. If you, you were part of that, thank you. But thank you for being here this morning. I'm just going to close in prayer. Pastor Sean will be at the door there shaking hands. Uh, and uh, please just, uh, just share with him anything that you would have on your heart. Thank you, everybody. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today. Father, what a wonderful truth we've heard this morning. And Father, we don't just want to hear it now, we want to apply it to our lives, Father God, throughout this week, Father. Father, it's so easy for us just to look at our own lives and say, well, we deserve this and we feel we should have this, but our eyes should be fixed on you. And Father, we thank you for your servant who's brought the word this morning, Father. Would you bless him, Father God? Thank you for our encouragement and our challenge today. Bless us, Father, today. So we depart and come back together this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.